podcast this week, we're joined by Jeffrey Wright, the Oscar-nominated star of American fiction, and that is American Fact. Plus, we're joined by Sean Durkin and Zac Efron, director and star of The Iron Claw. The Claw. The Iron Claw. The Claw. Claw. The Iron Claw is our master. The Iron Claw chooses who lives and who goes. Do that again. Peter Laurie. I was about to say. Hello. Oh, no, he's back again. Hello, Helen. Oh, no, Helen, the Iron Claw. The Iron Claw is back, (laughs) Helen. How are you doing? (laughs) All that and more on the movie podcast. It nearly got tickets to see Adele. Hmm. Helen, come back. It's fine. Okay, it's fine. Okay, All that and more on the movie podcast that has been thwarted in attempts to buy tickets to see Adele in Munich. Got into the room after hours of queuing, but was just just a little little shy of the money needed to buy the tickets. About six hundred euros shy. <laughs> so if we want to launch a crowdfunder or maybe a Patreon. Maybe now is the time. Uh, I've seen her in concert. It's fine. It's fine. Wow. I'm, it's okay. Disrespectful. Yeah, totally. Totally fine. <laughs> anyway, hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt Welcome to the Empire Podcast This week, I'm joined by three colleagues of such lethal cunning Geek Queen Helen O'Hara No, I mean, hello How are you? I was all the better before you started doing that impression I forgot, but, yeah. I forgot Peter Laurie I forget. Sometimes he, he, he's, he's always up on you. He's always in my back pocket mm. Yeah, oh, in your back pocket I don't like it I mean, apparently he was a lovely man But no, I don't like your impression Anyway, I'm I'm good. I'm, I had a nice morning. I, I took the morning off and I went to Dishoom for breakfast. Oh, did you? Oh, what did you have? Did you I have had, the breakfast naan? I had the did you have the dal? Yes. You've got to stop it. <laughs> masala beans? I had the masala beans. They don't mm. do the dal at breakfast. Otherwise, I would have had the dal. Yeah. Did you have the, I want to say okja, but that's something else. What am I thinking of? Okja's a okra. pig. Okra. Am I? Am okra's, I, am I okra's making a up? vegetable they ha- usually yeah. use in Southern American the, cooking. Am I, am I making up things? We're also joined by our great big <laughs> fucking nerd, James Dyer. Hello, James Hi. Dyer. Hi. Hello. Hello. No. Uh, what was yeah. that? I don't know. It was it was part Peter Lorre, part Claw, part Jar Jar Binks, I think. Hello. <laughs> I don't know what it was. <laughs> I should qualify it by saying that I'm I'm kind of trying to dial back my sugar intake at the moment. So It's uh, working well. No. You've replaced and, it with cocaine, apparently. The whole problem, the whole problem is <laughs> What's I, going on? I had some biscuits just before in the podcast. So Willy, it's like, Willy disco biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> I did get them off a bloke in Soho, so it might have been. But as a result, like the resulting sugar <laughs> high means I'm quite giddy off ah, a couple of, of coated in a white powder. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it's sugar. I'm looking at the packet now. It's hard Did you to eat say. them or sniff them? I did snort them. They said they were fruit shortcakes, so that should be fine. <laughs> the fact that you said shid instead of should. They should, yeah. yeah. They should. <laughs> they should be fruit shortcakes. Peter Laurie would say shid. <laughs> anyway, we're also joined by our resident George Harrison, Lukey Likey. John Nugent. Hello, John Hello, Nugent. Hello, Chris. Hello. Do you sound like George Harrison? Do you have a George Harrison impression in your back pocket? Mm, not really. Well, I don't really know. He, like, what does Paul, he sound like? Paul and John are the, like the famous voices from the Beatles. I don't really know what he sounds. He's just quite Ringo. Quiet. Ringo too. Oh, Ringo too. Yeah, because yeah. like Wacko. <laughs> he's in love. The, he's in love. For Wacko Thomas from the uh, from the Animaniacs was basically a Ringo impression, wasn't right. it? You know? oh, of course, you know. I, I can't. Thomas the Tank Engine walked into the kitchen. Yeah, there you go. Ah, yeah. He was he was the narrator for Thomas the Tank Engine. But yeah, I can't picture. I'm shutting it down. Voice. What did George sound like? A lot like Jar Jar Binks, I've heard. <laughs> he, he, quite a sardonic voice, quite a laconic, mm. sardonic, Harry Connick. I mean, I've I've watched all like five hours or whatever it was of Peter Jackson's documentaries, and I still yeah can't picture it in my That's head. That's a shame. But... Can you do a Peter Laurie? No, no. 
Thank no, you. No, and I, okay. I don't want to. But but I that, that that made me feel like weirdly nostalgic hearing your Peter Laurie. I used to listen to the podcast before I even joined Empire, and that was uh, like an yes, abiding memory staple. of the podcast. It's just well, you just annoying Helen. Constantly. It's genuinely something that, that she she gets really really discomforted by the whole thing. <laughs> like it's it. it's not good. But then okay. also. Uh, one of Chris's most iconic impressions is, of course, his Danny Boyle, which he's going to be doing to the native Manchester audience Good very, Lord. very wow. soon. Segue. When wow. we go on tour in March. That's an amazing segue. Yeah. What a segue. Will what? you do the whole Manchester show as Danny Boyle? No, I think I might do it like this. <laughs> what if I did like David the oldest? <laughs> Terrible experiments. Terrible. Uh, hello, Salford, and your terrible experiments. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yes. Anyway, we're going on tour. We are we going are on going tour. tour. So we announced this at episode 600, and then it took us about two and a half weeks to find venues that were willing to host the, whatever the fuck this mm. is. Yeah. Uh, there was a certain amount of, let's be honest, intimidation, uh, threats. Yeah. Um, yes. And bribery yeah. uh, in order to get them to. From them or from us. <laughs> well, nice I'm venue. A, as your lawyer. <laughs> It'd be a real shame if something happened to it. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, we are now, by the time you're listening to this, tickets should have gone on sale. I'm reliably informed. We've teamed up with a proper tour company and everything. We're, we're playing proper venues. Not, which is not to say the venues we played at previously on our last tour in 2019 were not proper. No. They were. They were mostly picture house cinemas and they were very, very lovely and we love those guys. But these are actual like theatres that have... Hides laughter comedy clubs. And there is one comedy yeah. club, maybe two comedy clubs on there, but yeah. you know, that's that's no reflection on the show. No. You've <laughs> listened give me, give me to the first pivot. ten minutes of this. Laughs not guaranteed. Yeah. Laughs yes, very much not guaranteed. Yeah. Uh there will be aggressive impressions. And uh, there'll be a lot of that. No but anyway, should we should podcast. we explain exactly what is happening with this tour? Okay. So we're doing five venues. We wanted to do Scotland. I'll say that right off the bat. And we wanted to do Wales. Mm. We tried to find venues in Scotland and Wales that would accommodate our buffoonery, that would <laughs> sanction our buffoonery in the Tommy Lee Jones style. Uh, but we couldn't find any at relatively speaking short notice. This tour has come together fairly... Quite fast. Yeah, the last minute-ish. It's last minute adjacent. Uh, so we, we're doing five venues. Four of them are in England. Uh, and one of them is in Ireland. So we're technically international. We are international. Yes, Good. it's not a UK tour, but it is an England and Ireland tour. So we should be saying that. And here are the cities. And we're playing these cities. These are the, for the first time we're visiting these these particular cities as a live show. Apart from Dublin. Uh, some of them, uh, apart from Dublin. Hell, it's fucking, he's spoiled Manchester. You've spoiled Dublin. <laughs> John, do you want to spoil anywhere? Uh, Sheffield. Fuck me. <laughs> so... March 1st, Friday, March 1st. And yes, I know what you're thinking. You're saying, Chris, that's three weeks away. Yes, it is. So buy tickets for this, please. God, Crescent Theatre, Birmingham. Yes, Woo. my old, uh, you know, alma mater. Wednesday, March 6th. Aha! We're going to Alan Partridge's stomping ground of Norwich. We're going to be playing <laughs> the Playhouse in Norwich. In a travel tavern. That is exciting. The last time I was in Norwich, I was hosting the Alan Partridge Alpha Papa world premiere. I think which I was, was on, amazing. Is it possible I was on set of Jack and the Giant? Jack it's the entirely Giant possible. There. there was a cathedral. There All right. Was, great was the city centre pedestrianised? Very that's, specific that's question. Next level stuff. Don't you yes. think that the traders need access to drinks? <laughs> Was there a cracking owl sanctuary? <laughs> Is there one? Oh, that'd be nice. Wednesday, March 13th. Sheffield. We're going to be in Sheffield 
uh, at the Memorial Hall, which I believe is in the City Hall Ooh. in Sheffield. So it's very, very nice. Not the Crucible Theatre. Sounds fancy. But I'll accept it. Hey. It's all good. Wednesday, March 13th, Sheffield. Thursday, March 21st, Helen. Yeah. We're going home. Hurrah! <laughs> uh, we're going to Dublin. Yay! Dublin at the... <laughs> Inappropriately named Laughter Lounge. <laughs> we will be, well, we'll soon see about that. Yeah. Yes, challenge accepted. Uh, we are going to be in Dublin on Thursday, March 21st. Uh, so our Irish fan can come and see us. Uh, and then uh, March 28th, Thursday, March 28th, we're going to be in Salford or Manchester uh, at the Keys Theatre. Q-U-A-Y-S, the Keys Theatre in Salford, Manchester. I love that you've you felt the need to spell out Salford Keys and for also, those who don't know what it is. And also that we're very much going Salford Manchester. Yes. Like, what, just to, just so people about? don't feel like they've that we've missed Manchester on. Because I, I know okay. people have been requesting okay. various cities since yeah. we announced the tour. In fairness, when I spoke to Terry White, formerly of this parish, and said we were going to Salford Keys, her immediate response was, You're going to die. So I thought, <laughs> you know, that's nice. I'm I'm pretty psyched oh, for she, it. Well, I mean she's seen the show before, yeah. so she has reason to know. <laughs> Perhaps that, that's yeah. just yeah. because she's coming. Like, we'll have just died at the laughter lounge. <laughs> so <laughs> This will be nice. So anyway, five, five dates, five nights. Uh, these are the biggest shows we've ever done, apart from uh, King's Place, oh, obviously. God. So we would be, I mean, I cannot even stress how much we would love to see uh, as many of you at these shows as possible. Uh, ticket prices are £17.50 across all venues, plus booking fees, T's and C's apply, etc., etc., etc. And tickets are on sale now. You'll be able to, we'll, we'll put them links up on our socials. Uh, when the time comes, but there'll be a holding page on the Empire website. I'm going to say it's at empireonline.com slash pod tour. Pod tour. We maybe should have chosen something easier to say. <laughs> pod tour. Uh, so pod tour. And you will also be able to buy them via the individual websites of the venues. So once again, Crescent Theatre, Birmingham, Playhouse, Norwich, Memorial Hall, Sheffield, Laughter Lounge, Arf, Dublin. You're gorgeous. And Keys <laughs> Theatre, Salford. Uh, so we are we are very very excited about this. One thing I will say for certain is that these will not be going out as podcasts. The only way to experience these is to buy tickets and be in the room. Uh, we will not be streaming them either. So go to the Empire Online website and go to the venue websites and please do buy those tickets. We have three weeks until the first show. Uh, oh, we're still working on the format of the show. But it's going to be something special. It's going to be something it's special. Be it's not going to be your standard live Empire podcast. There will be elements of that, obviously. Uh, but we're, we're building it as an evening with the Empire podcast. So there will be new things. There will be new little things that we're going to be trying out. Uh, we're going to try and make it as entertaining an evening for you guys, uh, all five of you, uh, <laughs> as as possible. So we're, we're tremendously excited about it. Uh, it's unlikely, I will say this as well, it's unlikely we're going to have guests. On our last tour in 2019, we did have guests. I'm not ruling that out for this, uh, but it's more likely that these shows will be just the Empire podcast team. Every week, it will be me, James, and Helen, and we'll be joined in a new venue every week by someone in the revolving fourth chair. Probably someone that we just kind of found near the venue. Yes. yes. Perhaps the local drunk. <laughs> Or perhaps someone who has uh, dusted James's biscuits in cocoa powder. <laughs> Never let someone dust your biscuits. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we're really excited. But in the meantime, let's focus an hour into this podcast. Let's focus on 
uh, this week's listener question, which is the final hurrah. Oh, God. For, oh, boy. Okay. For, uh, is it Mark Bowman? Michael Bowman? I should probably know this. Probably. I'm so sorry. But the, the guy who sent in the question a couple of weeks ago, basically the question was along the lines of, uh, <laughs> people have won Oscars, but sometimes they don't deserve to win the Oscar for the film that they win the Oscar for. If you could go back and award them an Oscar for another film instead of the film they actually won the Oscar for, who would it be? What would it be? What would it be? Right. So, okay. That's established. So we've we've done actor. We've done uh-huh. actress. This week, we're going to finish off with best director. And we're going to keep it roughly speaking to the last 10 years or so. Uh, so the rules are very, very simple. We go down. We look at the best director winners. And we decide, you know, did they deserve to win for that? And if they deserve to win another uh, an Oscar at another time, what was it and why? Mm-hmm. All right. All right. That's, that seems simple. That seems straightforward enough. We can't fuck this up. <laughs> John, as someone who hasn't tackled this question up mm. until now, have you been thinking about this long and hard? Uh, yes. If by long and hard, you mean... In the last 10 in seconds. In the last sort of hour or so. <laughs> um, yes. Well, one sticks out to me immediately. I don't know if this quite counts in the, in the criteria of the question, because he never actually won a Best Director. Oscar, but all right, you've gone, you've gone rogue already. But okay. Orson Welles, Orson Welles. You think, you think Transformers the movie? <laughs> well, yeah. it didn't direct. No, but yeah, I mean but, the performance. But just generally, it's, yeah. Was it was it was it Omicron? 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 Wasn't it? Omicron. Unicron. That's it. So, see, yeah. Helen Omnicron. knows. Wow. Helen knows her Transformers. Omni shambles. It's an <laughs> Omni shambles. Yeah, Unicron. Yes, good, good knowledge. Yes, thank you, thank you. Um, all right. Okay. Yeah, so Orson Welles nominated for Citizen Kane, famously lost to. How green was my valley? Is my valley? How green is my Should valley? My valley be? <laughs> yeah. How um, green will my valley be? <laughs> uh, which also lost in Best Picture as well. It and, did. Yes. You know, yeah, yeah. no one talks about that film. Everyone talks about Citizen Kane. It's I mean, not, that it, it's not a terrible film. By all not accounts. a terrible film. Not to put it down. You know, Welsh coal mining, but you know, Citizen Kane. <laughs> wow. Literally <laughs> changed the game. It's like God, we're not playing Wales now. <laughs> the, the the directing in that film is still like like superlative. That's um, a film journalism <laughs> term there. Push superlative. Yes, I, so, write, I write that word down sometimes. Uh, yeah, I, I think he should have won for that. I'm just going to mm. say it. He never won a competitive. Well, if we're getting directing. into, I mean, if we were getting into that, we'd be here all day because, like, Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, sure. So, yes. Um, yes. yeah, a lot yeah, of Brett Ratner. Yeah. There, there are some well, well, amazing, okay. amazing. So, directors. are we just going to go backwards through time again? Yes, yeah. well, like years? Chris Nolan. Yeah. Who's about he, to win Best Director? Yeah. He, he is. So should he have won it for the Dark Tenet? Knight? Just for Tenet. He should. Uh, should he? I mean, this is the thing. Last week you brought up a really interesting point, mm. which was we started to relitigate. Yes. Yeah, we did. So because because but we're meddling with time. Mm. We're like the Doctor. Yes. And so we're going through and we're taking we're taking people. We're saying, hey, you didn't deserve that in 2022. But you, but you should have won it in 2008. And... But the person then, that means the person who did win in 2008 has to win another time. Can we stop calling and it 2008? I know. I don't know why I did that. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. I think I was locked into the 20. <laughs> Does anyone say 2008? Oh, uh, yes. I don't know. Anyway, uh, so in 2024, the year of all, Christopher Nolan is about to win Best Director. Yeah. All right. Uh, sent back to the future from him, from the and future. And then a portal like opens <laughs> yes. on the stage. He has to fight himself. We fall out, <laughs> snatch it from his hand, 
<laughs> and, then, and, and then jump straight yeah, to... And Space Gem S, we jump straight back in. Hey, I've handed an Empire Award to Chris Nolan. If you look at his um, mirthsome acceptance speech <laughs> for Best Director uh, for Inception, mm. uh, yes, uh, someone hands him the award. And it's your hand. It's my hand. Oh my God, wow. Claim Not to fair. fame? Is it? I... IMDb profile update? I think so. Do I have a Wikipedia page? I fucking deserve one for that alone. Just for that. Yeah, for yep. that alone. All right, so Chris Nolan's about to win it. Yeah. That's, you know... But we're, we're striving to put right what once went wrong. wrong. So is it is it The Dark Knight? Because then if it's The Dark Knight... It's Inception. You think it's Inception? Inception. It you think inception. it's Inception? Everybody likes is Inception it? more than I was me. having a no. text conversation with somebody about this recently. Inception is his best film. Inception. 100% it is. Like, yes. that's yes. just... We've, we've all agreed that, right? Yeah. Well, no. That, no. Yeah. Because, John, that means that then Tom Hooper doesn't win for The King's Speech. Oh, no. Oh, oh, no. oh no. And then we have to relitigate and give Tom Hooper the Oscar he <laughs> no, deserves no. Oh, no. for Cats. No, we don't. No, we don't. No, we don't. Oh, yeah. That's not Release the bumhole cut. Release the bumhole Oscar cut. But wait... Inception was 2010, right? But that shut that, up, John. I thought it was mean, 2009. It is oh, 2010. You're right. I think it's 2010. Think Damn it! So that would mean it. it oh. We have to take it off uh, the artist director Michelle Hassanavicius. Thank you. And we'd have to do it silently. Yeah, or just you know loudly because he I, didn't deserve. That oh, letter. that's oh. not fair. Oh. <laughs> that's that not was a good fair. Movie. It's it's a fine movie, but it's. I fell in love with that film when I, I saw remember. it. Can I? I was so evangelical about it. You I were. was like, it's like guys, it's like Chaplin, but funny. Yeah. Hey. And, but it's good that everyone is still talking about it. So that's that's. It's fine. it's hey. never they, has they, a film are, like faded <laughs> into nothing like so quickly. Like it has. It's, oh uh, come on, there are Oscar films that have way faded into nothing quite true. quicker than that one. That's true. I I'm, it just it just feels very like you know who cares we don't right. they, we don't. <gasps> He doesn't need his Oscar. Okay, so we're right. we're, and we're not gonna we're not gonna re-gift one to Michelle Hassanovicius for say an OSS movie. We're not gonna do that. We're gonna say, okay, you did very well. Yeah, and you've had thirteen years of this Oscar. He's been a custodian. sitting on your yes. shelf. Yes, but now that belongs to Chris Nolan. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Great. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. If, we, if, we're, if we're doing this, then George Miller is getting one for fucking Fury Road. He all right. Really I'm, is, I'm saying I'm right now. Like, do you remember that year? Every single director we spoke to, like all year was like, that is the best director film I've ever seen in my life. I feel like if the just the director's branch had voted, yeah. it would have been George Miller by a country mm. mile that year. And then the actors got involved. Oh, so, oh, and then Leo the Revenant one. Exit pursued by a bear. I mean, look, the Revenant, again, as a directorial achievement, you can see that that would have been quite hard to make. It was quite <laughs> fucking hard to watch. <laughs> <laughs> And it's actually, very hard to shake. I was reading, I was reading like a series of tweets, but anyway, I was reading about Spotlight again, and that is a really well-made film. Like that was a it good is. year, it's a good film. 2015. It, it was, was a good very year, good but, year. But George Miller directed George the film Miller. about as well as a film can be directed. Yeah, that was pretty uh, good. And so he deserves a Fury for Fury Road. Witness so him. We're taking and Inaritu has already got one. He won one the year before. Yeah, <laughs> I'm taking that <laughs> off him as well for Birdman. <laughs> um, so okay, we're giving out to George Miller. We have distorted this question beyond all it's, recognition. I don't I'm loving where it. We are yeah, it's right. right. like a sort of housing Shut up, chain John. now. We just need to like follow yes, them through. <laughs> like it just becomes endless. Like because I would say Inaritu shouldn't have had those Oscars for either of those films. He should not. But have But maybe a Morris Paris. Maybe a Morris Paris. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, probably yeah. an Oscar worthy directing. That. Uh, but again, what year? So who was he up against? Oh, who, here we go. Who, who, who would would he let's, be taking that Oscar off? Let's do this. Morris Paris is 2000, so what's the 2000 Oscars? 2001 Best Director Oscar was Ron Howard 
Oh, it's full mind. Done, yeah. done deal. Take it, so take that, it, take take it off. It. That's an easy. That's an easy fix. Mm, Sorry. Okay, so where, what do we oh. give Ron Howard then? Oh, that's a good point. Does Ron Howard deserve a Best Director Oscar? Big question. I really like Apollo thirteen. Can we give it? to Oh, him for that's Apollo it. Okay, but then what? Oh my god! <laughs> Let's keep keep chasing the money. Keep I'm following. Chasing, I'm chasing the money. Now. <laughs> All right. Because didn't he get nominated for Apollo? No, he didn't. I don't no, he think didn't. so. Wow. <gasps> so what year was Apollo thirteen? Nineteen ninety five. Was it? So that would be the '96 Oscars. Oh, well, that's that's Anthony Mangella for the English yeah. That was actually that was Fargo year. Oh, that's tricky. That's very tough. I mean, I mean, but we're just you know we we can't take an Oscar of Anthony Mangella. Okay, so he keeps it, and that means Ron Howard doesn't get it for Apollo. 13. It also means the Coens don't have it for Fargo. Yeah. But they already have they one, or will have one. Well, are we keep are we leaving that there? We're, think, we know that. I think that's okay. Fine. That's safe. Okay, that's safe. That's in the I feel like Jim Bowen here. <laughs> I know. Super okay, here's a question. Great. Just Your for the year, safe. for the year two thousand, <laughs> can we take Steven Soderbergh's Oscar for Traffic and give it to Steven Soderbergh in the same year for Aaron Brockovich? No. Why not? Because we're going to give it to him for Out of Sight. Ooh, oh, no, you're making compelling cases. Oh. So what year was that? 1998. If that's Spielberg's Oscar, you and I have... I'm wrestling it out of his hands I'd, and I'd giving it to Soderbergh. You. No, I think uh, that's Sam Mendes' Oscar Sam Mendes. For, for oh, that's American right. Beauty. Okay. But does he get one for something else? Can, he give it, can we give it to him for Road to Perdition? Oh, I yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. That well, is a good fun. It's tricky, because at what point did the Oscars start rewarding the films that came out the previous year? Because John Madden was nominated the year before. Saving Private Ryan, Spielberg, the 1998 Oscars, Spielberg wins for Saving Private Ryan, and Private Ryan came out in 1998. So there was at some point that they stopped, they kind of switched a year, they moved a year ahead. Is it's it really just when they, when, they, the when they fall in the calendar year? I don't know when it is. It's I'm sure very, it's just a release date. Yeah, I think it's just release date. All right, okay. Well, let's that, just stick to the year ahead thing. So, we're sorry, Sam. We love you. You're a former guest editor of Empire. Yeah. Uh, you promised me a pay rise that has not materialized. <laughs> um, and so for that reason, I'm out. And so it was your Oscar. Sorry, pal. Wow. Is he close to me? He must be close to being an EGOT. Mendes. He's got to have got a Tony, right? Probably hasn't got a Grammy yet. But, May not but they give Grammy. Grammys out like fucking sweets. <laughs> yeah, hi, like, like hi. between us, I think we have 16 <laughs> Grammys. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. fine. <laughs> we don't have album of the year, though. No, that's true. That's like already Beyonce. taken. <laughs> wow James has won it apparently uh, alright okay. Road to okay. Perdition was 2002 so that would be the Michael 2003 Sullivan. Oscars but we're not taking Peter Jackson's unless uh, I'm taking, oh, oh, oh no no yes 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 yes, yes. we take the, Peter yes. Jackson's Oscar for 2003 I, we give it to him, him for in 2002 Done. no no oh, we give it to him for two towers no she's, she's right she's we right we give it to him for two towers because <laughs> the winner in 2002 oh fuck that guy oh, was, was Roman, Roman Polanski. Polanski oh he loses that 100% all right, so should we go back to 2023? Oh, dear God. Like we were planning to do it in the first place. Our right, machine okay. is knackered at this point. Yeah. But yes. right. oh, we're, we're, so we're just starting, is that what we're you're saying? We're just starting, yeah. So, all, all that's passed is prologue. So last year's Oscars, the Daniels won. Should yes. they have actually won for yeah. Swiss Army No, Man, I think we should we add more that? Daniels. I think yeah. there should okay. be, I think uh, Daniel Stern should also win a uh, Best Director oh, yeah, Oscar. Daniel great. Radcliffe. Yep. And it should be like the polyphonic spree on stage when they go, the Daniels have won and it should be every Daniel, Daniel everywhere, Craig all at once. Yeah, Daniel Craig. How did I forget the most famous Daniel? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going, Daniel Rack, Daniel Stern, <laughs> I mean, Daniel from the Elton John. <laughs> look, Daniel, Daniel Craig hasn't been in For All Mankind, so I think we all know that Daniel Accurate. Stern is a better Daniel. Yes. Anyway. Right. Um, okay. No, the Daniels Oscar is safe. 
Okay. That's safe. So then 2021, Jane Campion won for The Power of the Dog when Jane Campion clearly should have been given her Oscar for the piano. I mean, has got a piano. But, but she she did excellent work there by blocking the egregious crime that would have been Stephen getting it for West Side Story. So actually, I'm very happy <gasps> with, uh, with Power of the Dog blocking get that. Out. So let's keep that as it is. Wow. The noise I do not wish to hear again. I think Helen's found my <laughs> Peter Laurie. And it's Helen just going, Ooh. Uh, All right, real quick, because I've just realized how long we're taking. Wait, I've, um, I've just realized yeah. that Jane Campion for the piano was up against Steven Spielberg for Schindler's List. So I have rethought <laughs> all of my opinions. Shit. Ah, uh, but then, yes. Yeah. You can't argue with Schindler's List. Um, but he should have won for Raiders. He should have won for Jaws. I mean, he, he can have two. He's he Steven fucking Spielberg. I, he should have two. <laughs> he should probably have like six or seven. Probably. Yes. Yeah. We gave Denzel a whole bunch. Of other bigger, including we one did. for Virtuosity. <laughs> yeah. So I think we should at share this with point, Russell Crowe. So that's yeah. fine. Okay, um, so it's a tie there. Uh, 2020 slash 21. Shitting in a Chloe <laughs> for Nomadland, which he clearly should have won for the Eternals. <laughs> True. For Sex on the Beach. <laughs> <laughs> what was that song? <laughs> message uh, in a bottle. Message in a bottle. Oh, I'm in a basket. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, dear Lord. Anyway. Anyway, she uh, she actually maybe should have won for The Rider. I actually she should have won. Which is a great film. For Eternals. The Eternals. I thought yeah. was my first suggestion, but I was being... No. 2019, Kong Joon-ho. It's, it's very hard to argue with Parasite. It and is. I'm not going to. No, neither will I. Uh, Alfonso Cuaron for Roma. Shoot here. He should have won for Children of Men, I think. Oh, I don't oh, think he was even nominated. For. I'm with John a little bit. I'd have given, maybe given Lanthimos that one. All right. So, but if that means, okay, here we go again. Uh, mm-hmm. If we're taking away his Oscar and giving it to him for Children of Men, which came out in 2006, yep. that means a 2007 Oscar. Oh for boy. Joel and Ethan uh, Cohen, we need to give shit. we need to give them want, an Oscar. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so okay, okay, no Oscar I, for two men. So I think actually what we're being confused by here is we are looking at the I, the Wikipedia list, or at least I am, and it's saying no, the year. No, it's all in my head. Helen, yeah, okay. I'm just remember right. this stuff. It's saying the year, but that is the year it covers, not the year that I the know, ceremony take pla- took place. Oh, that's what right. I said. So then we're not looking at the Coens because that's 2007 releases. We're looking at 2006 releases, which means we're taking it off Martin Scorsese for The The Departed. Departed. But as we've said, that's probably something we need to do anyway. Which is fine because we don't mind taking it off him for The Departed because we will give it to him for practically anything else. (laughs) Well, that was an honorary Oscar, wasn't it? By any other name. That was like, we're really sorry we missed Mean Streets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It feels like we've had this conversation before. (laughs) Alfonso Cuaron. For yeah, gravity. He has two. I mean, I love gravity. But I love it too. It really keeps me grounded. Hey. But I wonder... That's a joke. Yeah, it was very funny. <laughs> Thanks for explaining. That was great. Um, I wonder if that's a year we could have sorted Scorsese out for The Wolf of Wall Street, for example. We you could know? have done Steve McQueen also as well, though. It's like that's a, it's kind of a, that's uh, a tricky yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. John, who would you do? Do you, do you like well, gravity? Yeah, but we were saying Quaron um, as... Children of Children Men. Children of Men, I right? know. But oh, that was for his right. other Oscar. But also, do we... Yeah. Do we yeah, he gets one. Does he keep gravity? Do you... I mean, it is It is a very well-directed film. It's a really well-directed well film. Like, it's yeah. an achievement. Yeah. I think it's fair. I, yeah. I'm, I don't have a problem with that. We could, the, the previous year, Ang Lee for Life of Pi is, again, not the Ang Lee film I would we've, give him. We've, we've given yeah. him 
We've got, but like, he's got two, you know, so. Well, he only gets one. It's almost uh, as if true. we've played this game like three times by this <laughs> yeah. point. I'm very, I'm very but confused look, about what's happening. We, we've <laughs> taken away Marty's Oscar for the departed. So I think we can give him... It is him, departed, we can, yeah, Indeed. So we can give it to him for awful You're three. thinking of when we did Best Picture, Chris, aren't you? That's why it's feeling like uh, we've been I here don't before. Think, did we do Best Picture? Did we do Best Picture? We did do we did, Best Picture, yeah. yes. We did. All of this has happened before, Helen. All of this will happen again. Should win it for Goodfellas, I would say. Yeah, that's fair. Did he Did he even get nominated for was. I feel like that was the year, yes, it was, that Kevin Costner won for Dances with Wolves. Um, I mean, that's a very well-directed film, so... Do you think Goodfellas would have done better if they'd called it Greatfellas? And people would have felt that it was... (laughs) More of a superlative. Goodfellas feels like a four-star film, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It's good. It's Goodfellas. Yeah. Mm. I wouldn't say it's Greatfellas. I bet there were some reviews around the time. If I had been a film critic (laughs) at the time, I'd go, it's Goodfellas, but it's not Greatfellas. (laughs) Get busy living. Get busy buying. (laughs) If you don't like Shawshank, you're beyond redemption. <laughs> Both of those in the same review. Take that, Anthony Lane. It's no smell it with your eyes. It, it really is, isn't. No. That's in the deer for, I think, the written word <laughs> in general, not just not just film journalism. Anyway, uh, speaking of the deer for film journalism, I think we've reached it in this very podcast. Come and see us live for, for more of this shit. <laughs> Dear God, I wouldn't pay for this. Oh my God. I mean, come and see us live. It's going to be really great fun. Uh, if you want to have your question read out at the Emperor Podcast, uh, get in touch with us on Twitter. And we are now accepting questions for the next couple of weeks. So that's very, very exciting. I'm at Chris Hewitt on Twitter. And yes, it's Twitter. Uh, you can slide into my DMs. You can reply to a panicked shout out every now and again. Or you can reply to any of my tweets or posts or X's uh, once you've stopped laughing, of course. Time now for this week's first guest. Who do you want? Do you want Jeffrey Wright or do you want Zac Efron and Sean Durkin? Let's have The Watcher. The Watcher. The Watcher. What if Jeffrey Wright returned to the Empire podcast? And what if he was talking to me about his Oscar-nominated role as Thelonious Monk Ellison in Court Jefferson's phenomenal American fiction? Well then, yes. And what if, and what if that happened? Well, it did. It did. This very week, in fact, I sat down in the London hotel room with Jeffrey Wright and we talked about a great many things, including, of course, American fiction, his reaction to being nominated for an Oscar. And we went back a ways in his career as well. There's a lovely touching anecdote towards the end of this. Uh, So do please enjoy the great Jeffrey Wright. We are delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the star of American fiction, Mr. Jeffrey Wright. How are you, sir? I'm well. I'm well, thanks for having me. Good, good, good. Congratulations on the Oscar nomination. Thank you. Uh, now it's been a, a, a little while since the nominations came out, so how does it feel now? Is it beginning to sink in? Ah, ooh. Is it beginning to sink in? Uh, I don't know. I guess it, it's a thing. It's clearly a thing. Uh, it's, it's great. Uh, it comes from our peers, this uh, acknowledgement. So that's pretty cool um, that they have seen our work and taking it in and, uh, and they appreciate it. That said, I understand that this isn't entirely about the quality of the work. There's some wonderful performances and films, um, and work this year that uh, weren't acknowledged as with every year. I think Andrew Scott, mm-hmm. for example, gives a beautiful performance in all of us strangers. So this isn't entirely about the quality of the work. It's also about the fact that our film was supported by the studio 
uh, by Orion, Amazon, MGM, and really they put resources and, and time and energy behind us to make sure that it was out there yeah, and and seen because without that, if, if, if it's not seen, it can't be appreciated. I've never experienced this level of support for a, a film that I was so central to in my career. So um, I'm, I'm really grateful for that. And um, yeah, as well, the film is, uh, you know, there's a nice recipe within this film. The, the script was wonderful. The tone is, uh, is welcoming. The issues are timely. So there's a combination of things that have, you know, that has have put us in, in this position. And uh, yeah, we're proud of this film and we're, yeah, we're proud of the, uh, the recognition it's received. This journey, I imagine, is something that you probably didn't see yourself embarking upon when a script called Fuck landed on your desk yeah. <laughs> a couple of years ago. Oh, Fuck was a good script. <laughs> it's a great title. Yeah, great title, great script. <laughs> I wanted to keep the title. But, uh, and for, you know, those of you who have not seen the film, you'll understand why it was so-called <laughs> fuck at the beginning. That was on the slate uh, every time, you know, we, we shot a scene. But, uh, yeah, I mean, did I expect to be here? Uh, I don't know. I don't think it's healthy to think about these things, to think about, like, kind of, you know, the the outcome, particularly as it relates to award recognition and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I knew it was a good script and I knew that it was something that was interesting to me, something I was excited to play inside of. And then once we started filming, there was a sense that everyone that was there and not just the actors, but you know, behind the camera as well, was really passionate about this story, really felt it. And as we went on over the course of the many 26 days that we, uh, <laughs> that we had to film this, wow. there was a growing momentum and a growing sense of care and pride in what we were doing. Yeah. You could sense that from the crew. The crew is always the first audience. And you could just see there was a little bit more joy in what they were doing that they weren't just showing up ah, when are we getting out of here but that they were like ah really really vibing to what we were doing and when you know the you know the the quiet on set gets you know a few degrees quieter that happens at times and you go oh we might be onto something pretty cool here so uh yeah this was yeah this was this was uh it was a lovely fuck yeah this one <laughs> Uh, a nice contented fuck. Yeah, 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 satisfying. Satisfying fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just speaking to Cord about... Beyond expectations. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. I was speaking to Cord about uh, the title change and you know, he's got it about it as well. And uh, I suggested the title American Fuction, but apparently yeah. you had done this as well. Uh, yeah, well, I did. I thought they might just kind of play with the uh, something between the, the C and the T there just a little bit. Yeah. But it actually, it's 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 reflected in the poster. This idea that I had that this kind of this you know this duality, you know. So they got it. Amazing. They got it. Yeah, we couldn't we couldn't go with fuck for reasons that Cord <laughs> probably described to you. He did. He did, and it made perfect sense. But at the same time, there's there's a small small part of me that, that wishes that wishes. Yeah. Can you imagine yeah. Oscar night? So good. And the nominees are so good. Jeffrey Wright for, for fuck. fuck. So good. I mean. 
that's so good. That's your Oscar moment right there. Yeah. That's that's it. But yeah. but uh, but the movie itself. I mean, you ha- you took this. Did you see it as a, a leap of faith in court? I mean, I've met him. He's an incredible guy. He's very very impressive. Obviously, was it once you met him, once you spoke to him, or was, did the script alone sell you on him? Yeah, the script, and then meeting him, talking to him, trying to get a sense of, you know, how he envisioned this. Very clear vision. You know, comprehensive, clearly a wonderful communicator, as indicated in the script, and on meeting him, and and uh, and a, and a driven guy, guy you know who's capable of leadership, because there weren't a lot of lot of the powers that be that wanted to make this movie, but he was tenacious enough to keep driving until he found uh, you know MRC and T Street and Orion. Uh, ultimately, um, to uh, to to put up the resources required to make this film. So, great communicator, strong leader. That's what director is. And yeah, it was understood that it was his first time. But a smart guy gathered smart people around him who were experienced. You know, his department heads chose a cast of actors that were top shelf that show up on a set knowing what what time it is, you know, knowing how to work. <laughs> and uh, and the, the other thing that he did that was super useful and really smart was that he didn't pretend to know what he did not know relative to how, you know, the mechanics of a movie set work. Because it's a reasonably complicated thing. A lot of various buttons and levers and knobs, you know, to spin and stuff like that. And, you know, he... He laid back and allowed the information void to be filled with the experience of each day. Fast, you know, learner. And again, clear vision, cinematic vision for what he wanted to do. And so, yeah, we, uh, we came on board and, uh, yeah. And, you know, we, we rode the boat, you know. <laughs> uh, How do you like to work on set? Way. How do I like to work on yeah. set? Do you like, do you, you're, you're, you're talking about people coming in and they know what time it is. So that yeah. mean, I'm guessing that means they're focused. Yeah, you focused, you get on the same page, understand what the vision is. With this, ah, so clear on the page what wanted to be done uh, and how, you know, this character wanted to be. It was just a manage, matter of, you know, finding the right parts, finding the, the look and all of that. The interior stuff was all kind of in some ways unfortunately set in place inside of me already i knew this very intimately this guy you know kind of the external pressures on him but also the pressures exerted you know from this you know family crises and it was stuff that i had been experiencing and but i also understood something about his eh you know a little bit about his misanthropic tendencies and his kind of uh his you know his anger and arrogance and all that stuff and at one point i just wanted to ask cord why me why do you have me because <laughs> he because when he read the book erasure he he says he heard your voice yeah yeah he did he did say that i apologize to him for that i know that can be <laughs> disorienting it can be odd but uh but yeah and it's also you know it's a it, there was wonderful humor laced you know, throughout the script. So, uh, 
yeah, we showed up and and we just uh, yeah, we just uh, we just played. We just played with it. Were you on set every day? I'm guessing of those twenty six mm-hmm. days. Yeah, every day. Yeah, every day. Oh, you were asking how I like to work. Yeah, uh, I I like to work. Uh, I like to have a good time. Like to have a laugh. Like to keep everything kind of, you know, upbeat. And I like to work efficiently. I don't like to waste people's time. I don't like to waste a lot of time on movie sets. Movie making is can be seriously tedious. I mean, it is a tedious process. It's a repetitive process. It, it's slow. It's inefficient, uh, just by nature. So I've found that the best way to keep everybody focused, everybody on set and, and you know, and, and, and enjoying the process is to work efficiently, to drive the thing, drive the day. And so, uh, you know, I kind of took on a bit of that responsibility. Obviously I'm there in pretty much every scene every day. And, and, uh, yeah, I think I learned that from Westworld, or at least that was honed working on Westworld because we would shoot the equivalent of you know maybe five movies in the course of mm. uh, six months in terms yeah. of the amount of film that we shot and the amount of story that we covered. And uh, jo- uh, you know Jonah Nolan, uh, he, he he doesn't like to waste a lot of time. He doesn't like to bullshit around, you know. <laughs> and I like that. And I like that. And so it's like, hey, you know, move that ball down the field, boys. Come on. Let's do it well. Let's get the get what we need, but let's not fuck around. You know, waste, you know, let's 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 move it cuz nobody wants to be on a movie set, you know, 16, 17 hours a day. You know, you want to you want to you want to do the work and 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 get home. Uh our days weren't that long. Our days were 12 hours on this, yeah. you know, cuz yeah. you know, they, oh, nope, 12 hours and 5 minutes. Oh, well, you know, no money for that. Uh so it yeah, let's 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 get everything. We made all of our days and that's cuz we we you know, we we worked efficiently. Did you always want to act in films when you when you first started thinking about being an actor? Is this how you Yeah, yeah, I wanted to do Anything. Wanted to work on stage, on film. Yeah, sure. Whatever's good, interesting to me. Um, yeah, and I was always, always inspired by. I mean, I loved film. I loved, you know, there were so many actors that I, I, whose work I loved. You know, Dustin Hoffman, Sidney Poitier, Dennis Hopper, you know, Gary Oldman. So many. You know, I mean, Adolf Caesar. So many actors that I was introduced to via film. And so, yeah, yeah, I wanted to work in film, sure. So uh, Basquiat must have been a, an incredible experience. Oh, for yeah, that was awesome. Suddenly, there's Dennis Hopper. Yep. There's Gary Oldman. Yep. Chris Walken. <laughs> there's Chris, there's David Bowie. Willem fucking Dafoe, Yeah. David, yeah. Nice little gift at the beginning of my, you know, my film career. Uh, first lead anyway, yeah. I mean, wow. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's really, uh, that was... And they all treated me like, you know, just so well. It was so cool to me. They were so generous. And Chris, I'd known before, I'd done a play with him in Central Park when he played Iago to Raul Julia's Othello. Wow. I had a, you know, I was a third Cypriot stone to the left. Uh, But man, what a master class he gave playing Iago. Just brilliant, brilliant, super smart guy 
And uh, so, uh, you know, I was familiar with him. And then, wow, 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 we're going to work together on this thing, you know, in a more intimate way. Yeah, that was, that was really, that was really wonderful. Um, Gary Oldman, when I saw Sid and Nancy, I was like, what just happened? He was an actor who expanded my understanding of what could be done. Like, for example, Basquiat or role I played slightly a few years after that in Shaft, Peoples, yeah, yeah. those performances um, are, you know, informed a little bit by by Gary and Sid and Nancy, just in terms of the range of emotion and, you know, just like, yeah, the, his kind of rawness. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was it was a cool introduction. I remember Dennis, um, you know, from Apocalypse Now. Wow, come on, man, Dennis. Uh, the first scene that we shot was a scene with Dennis, David, and myself. If you know the movie, I come in, got these postcards. They're having lunch, and I try to sell these postcards to them. So we we rehearsed that scene. And I'm going, okay, here's David Bowie. I mean, who's like, I mean, just like an absolute, an absolute hero to me. You know, his music at times was like the score of my life in phases, you know. I mean, just David Bowie, come on. And Dennis. And then I go back to the hair and makeup trailer and I'm sitting in the chair. And the door opens behind me and it's Dennis. And he walks in and I see him in the mirror you know, because I'm sitting there in the chair and I see him lean into my ear and he says, cool. And I went, oh man, okay, let's go. Let's go to work. It was just, <laughs> I mean, what, what more, what more do you want? That's extraordinary. Uh, and now do you find yourself in that position as well for, for young actors, younger, younger actors are coming up? It's funny. The first like significant role that I had on film was in a mini series called Separate But Equal about this major Supreme Court case in the United States uh, where, uh, you know, federal support for uh, segregation was overturned. Um, Sidney Poitier played Thurgood Marshall, who was the lead lawyer mm -hmm. working for the NAACP at that time. He went on to become a Supreme Court justice after this. Sidney Poitier Playing, I'm playing opposite him. My first like ever single was opposite Sidney Poitier, and I was so young. I just started acting, really. I had no clue what I was doing, but he as well, incredibly gracious to me. Cleavon Little was in this. He was playing another lawyer. Uh, uh, it was Burt Lancaster's last per, uh, performance. He played the lawyer who was arguing opposite uh, Thurgood Marshall, opposite Sidney Poitier, a guy named John Davis. And Albert Hall was another of the lawyers uh, working with the NAACP, Albert Hall played chief in Apocalypse Now. Yeah. Apocalypse Now is just like, that was just my holy grail. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know, I'd watched that movie so many times, just immersed myself in this, you know, mad mythic thing. I told Albert so. I was just in awe of him. I was, you know, all of this, you know, it was, oh my God, if everyone there, but Albert Hall, and at the end of the, uh, our time together, end of uh, filming, he, he gave me a book. It was the autobiography of a yogi. And he wrote in the front flap, 
Jeffrey, evolution is when a kid comes up to you and says, Jeffrey, I like your work. I've seen your movie 50 times. <laughs> your friend always, Albert. And that was in 1989, maybe? And now, you know. It's happening. I have young actors come up, say, hey, you know, I've got your poster on my wall from, from Basquiat. Or, I, you know, gosh, you know, I've seen someone, you know. And, uh, and it's like, I've, I'm always surprised by it. And, uh, and I, find it, I find it, yeah, I find it kind of uh, touching. And, and I, think of, I think of Albert. Yeah, I think of that note. And, uh, yeah, I guess, I, I guess, you know, I guess I've evolved a little bit. Uh, it was, you know, I, I still need to, but I guess, I guess I, I have some. It's, 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 uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. That's amazing. Do you still have that book? Do you I still do. have the note? I do. I do. In fact, you know, in the course of all the stuff that's been happening with the film, I, I looked at that note, um, you know, a few weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, well, Jeffrey Wright, we have come to the end of our time. Cool. So it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks yeah, so thank much you. for your time and best of luck with, uh, with everything. Appreciate it. Thank you, sir. All righty. Okay, that was Jeffrey Wright. American Fiction, of course, is out in cinemas right now, and I beseech thee to go and see it immediately. It is, I know we're only on February 7th by the time we're recording this. We're recording this on Wednesday, by the way, uh, two days before we usually go out. So hopefully there's nothing cataclysmic happening in the next <laughs> two days or so. Uh, but it's only February 7th, but it's absolutely going to be in my top 10 of the year. And mm -hmm. if it isn't, that means we've had a very, very, very good year indeed. Great, great film. And we will be doing a spoiler special on that, by the way. Uh, with Cord Jefferson. Movie news. Has mm. there been any? There's been a bit, yeah. So, um, first of all, the thing that I was most intrigued by is the news that David Leach is in talks to direct the next Jurassic World <laughs> film. So, obviously, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we heard that Jurassic Park, like the original Jurassic Park writer, David Kep, uh, was hired to, to, do the, to work on the script, and now Leach is apparently in talks. And... Given that mm. this is the guy behind, you know, Bullet Train and Atomic Blonde and uh, Hobbs and Shaw. And the fall guy. <laughs> and what? Hobbs and Shaw. Hobbs and Shaw? Yeah. Why are you saying it like that? Well, it's not it's quite not on good. the level of some of the rest, <laughs> is it? I enjoyed it's totally Hobbs and solid. Shaw. It's totally fine. Okay. Many things. So well, I saw I Hobbs guess... and Shaw in 40X, which is the only oh way to experience God. it. Oh, God. I can't even imagine what Have that must have been like. Have like rattle around every time they were Did Jason Statham sit next to you and just shake you yeah. vigorously at various points? Very similar to that, yeah. Anyway, uh, and he's got the fall guy obviously coming up. He has a very full dance card, but this would be perhaps David Leach, like a proper actiony dude. Yeah, director. Do you dude. reckon the Raptors have like learned kung fu? No, kung I don't. Kung fu. <laughs> and in fact, I would, girls. <laughs> I would like to move away from that if I were honest. But I'm excited to see what he could maybe bring to it. Yeah, that's a, that's interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. interesting. You had my... I always get this wrong. I know, I always get them mixed up. You had my... Curiosity. Wait, no, it must no, be curiosity. curiosity. It must be curiosity And first. now you have my attention. You had my curiosity, and now you have my attention. That would make sense. Because I was yeah. curious about you. Yeah. I was like, I was looking at you going, oh, that's a bit of a strange thing. Like, you know, they're doing another Jurassic World movie. Oh my God, David Leach directed it? Well, now you have my attention. Exactly. That makes sense. Yeah. All right, okay. Okay. Yeah, I'll, that's how I remember it in the future. So that's a thing that might. That be is very good. Um, yeah, that's that, really good. I'm, I'm, I'm so stoked about that. Big fan of David Leach. 
Uh, I've got a question for you, Chris. How do you feel about the fact that there's going to be another Evil Dead? Spin? I'm learning about this in real time. Yeah, so this is Sp- Sebastian Vanacek is directing this. Uh, we don't know anything about it. We don't know what it is. But it's going to be gnarly as fuck, I would say. It's a fairly safe bet, so... Brilliant. Yeah. Good. I'm, I'm learning not very much yeah, about it like, in real time. Yes. <laughs> but you, I mean, you enjoyed the most recent one, right? I like, love the most recent yeah. one. Nice. So you've got to be feeling pretty... Stoked. I'd be more. Uh, I'd be happier if uh, Sam Raimi were directing it, or if Lee Cronin were directing it. Uh, but you know, we hold out hope, right? Every day well, is this, Christmas Eve. This guy apparently um, he made Vermin, which I have to say I haven't seen yet, but it's about uh, deadly spiders in an apartment building, and um, is apparently good. So I'm excited to see what he does with it. I mean, they they are presumably still developing at least one of Lee Cronin's like 16 million ideas for mm-hmm. a sequel, right? So mm-hmm. hopefully this isn't an either or. Hopefully it's an yes and. Yes situation. and, yeah. Because I know he he said, in fact, on our spoiler special, he was talking about Evil Dead. Let me see if I can get these right. The Order. Curiosity and then atten- Evil Dead Curiosity <laughs> and then Evil Dead Attention. Yes. It was Evil Dead... Because it was Evil Dead Rise. Then it was Evil Dead Roar. Oh. And then it was Evil Dead Rome. Rome. Rome, as in R-O-A-M. Oh. Not as in they go to Italy and they're going, you know, well, I mean, hey, I'm a dead guy. Hey, I'm not, just saying. Like, <laughs> the Pope's, ex- dead Rome. Like, the Pope's <laughs> exorcist is right there. Oh my God. Yeah. Right? The Pope's exorcist versus the evil I, dead. I would 100% watch Evil Dead colon Rome. Like Take it up with my Miami, boss. But, you know. Ash. Yeah. Oh my God. Take it up with my boss, Ash. <laughs> I, would be, I would be so excited about that. Oh my God. Dead the Maidan. Dead the Maidan. I'd be like, amazing. Wow. Oh dear! Oh boy! Oh god! I'm excited about it. I am. I really am. I mean, I you know, there hasn't been a bad Evil Dead movie apart from no, there hasn't been a bad Evil Dead movie. No, no there, there hasn't, hasn't been. Yeah. So batting average is good. Fingers crossed. Evil Dead Rise was great. Right. <laughs> Maybe this could you also be great. Uh, Jim Carrey is returning for Sonic the Hedgehog three, which I'm sure is news <laughs> we're all excited about. Apparently, he announced his retirement. Um, so he this did. is the film that brings him out of yeah. retirement. I mean, I, I slightly, uh, you know, these films are sort of so-so. I, I slightly resent them because I gave Sonic Hedgehog 2 a negative review and I got death threats from Sonic fans. That was probably my five-year-old nephew. I'm ah, sorry about that's that. what it yeah. was. He's, a, he's okay. a very big fan. Yeah, he was very, very threatening DMs I was getting from him. <laughs> I um, didn't even know he could use a computer, so this is really exciting. Yeah. Well, he, had, he managed to Photoshop Sonic with a gun. <laughs> Which I was very impressed by. Um, But yeah, I'm not especially excited for that film. But I would like to see more Jim Carrey. So, you know. Yeah. That's that. I miss miss him. I miss Jim Carrey. There's also, we got our first look at Scoop this week, uh, which is the Netflix film with Gillian Anderson playing uh, Emily Maitlis. Mm. That famous newsletter interview with Prince Andrew. Prince Andrew played in this by... Uh, Rufus Sewell. Rufus Sewell, unrecognizable. Mm. Um, I I don't know how to feel about this. It, it feels like the the sort of crownification. It feels like the crown mm. spinoff nobody asked for. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's an it's a curious one. Um, yeah, I don't know how I feel about it either. It's just uh, a bit weird that you know you have all these like '90s heartthrobs now playing less than ideal people. Like Gillian Anderson herself, obviously playing Margaret Thatcher, and now and now Rufus Sewell playing. Prince Andrew. It's such a, it's such interesting casting. Kudos to the casting director. I would not. You could have given me a pen. This is why I'm not a casting director. <laughs> but you could have given me a pen and a blank piece of paper, and I would have been sending death threats to John about his Sonic review. Of course. Obviously, but 
Second thing he would have done is he could write down a hundred British actors who could play Prince Andrew and Rufus Sewell would not have been no. on that list. So I always find it fascinating that a casting director can look at someone and look at their obvious physical charms because Rufus Sewell, good looking guy, yeah. lovely head of, of black hair and, and go, that guy can play Prince Andrew. Yeah, Maybe he can't sweat. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe Rufus Sewell, the hot lights of a movie set. Rufus Sewell was spotted in a Pizza Express and they were like, that's the guy. Yeah, yeah. it's gone walking. Hey. It's all gone walking these days, hasn't it? Oh, Apparently, yeah. um, Emily Maitlis was asked how she feels about Gillian yes. Anderson playing her. And she said, well, my teenage sons are hormonally confused about it. <laughs> Which she would be. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And there's also trailers this week for Drive Away Dolls, by the way, and If. The If one was wonderful. With Randall Park pretending to be John Krasinski, and I had loads of fun with that, Mm because I can't pretend I was that excited about the film. But this has made me... Yeah, it's it's an odd-looking film, Mm. mostly because it looks like Ryan Reynolds is playing the Hugh Jackman role with the sort of tappy dancing and the, like, you know... The suspenders and so on. It just it's a it's an odd well, it's like, choice it's, for him. I'm it's not li- it's like a live it. action Pixar, isn't it? That's kind of how they've described it. Yeah. So cool. But, but obviously that is a Super Bowl trailer, and we're we're recording this show before the Super Bowl we are. this week between uh the San Francisco 49ers, Go Niners, and Kansas City's Chiefs, which obviously is James's team of choice now yes. because yes. Love the Taylor Chiefs. Swift. Uh I will be watching it uh, and I will probably watch it using my wife's Game Pass so that we can watch the uh, American commercials which are always very, very fun and usually have big, big names in them mm-hmm. uh, and also the trailers. But they just release the trailers the next day anyway. The but, big uh, game day trailers the big game that they day have to call yeah. them. So we may be getting Deadpool 3. We may be getting Ooh. our first look at the Deadpool 3. I would also, if I were a betting man, I would say that that ain't going to be called Deadpool 3. I think we may be getting the first official title from that film. Deadpool, Pool of Death. Well, I think I think Hugh Jackman accidentally revealed it. Deadpool and Wolverine. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what it's going to be. All right. Because why wouldn't you? Why, why wouldn't you? you? Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you just go and... and Wait, what? And the Daniels. Wait, hey, come on now. <laughs> or and the Daniels. Could it be Deadpool X Wolverine oh. taking the Godzilla oh. Kong? A new, new empire. They should put the word empire in there because there's a new uh, trend of blockbusters putting the word empire into their titles and mm. frankly, I am yeah. all for it. Out of respect for us. Yes. That's why they do yes. Tim Burton is directing a new movie. Ooh. This this broke last week just as the podcast went up because, of course, and it is... Anyone know what this is? Yes, I think I heard about this. Yeah. Attack of the 50-foot woman. Bingo. Oh, yeah. that heard, sounds fun. I heard the word yeah. attack. I immediately started giving it five stars. Um, but then I realized, of the 50-foot woman, and it's going to be written by Gillian Flynn Ooh. of Gone Girl. Oh, and that exciting. is how you pronounce her name. Gillian Flynn, like Gillian Jacobs from Community. Yeah, indeed. yeah, she's also yeah. Gillian. So, so is that like American thing? Like uh-huh. where Gillian is Gillian? I cannot say. All right, that's good. Tim Burton doing this that it's seems like being yeah, right up his street. Feels like it's been a little minute for him. But then yeah. has he been doing Beetlejuice? Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, which we now know is called Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice because oh, no. it was a. You just said it four times. But I, you have to say it three times. If I said Beetlejuice, 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 then we'd be. A, Oh shit! Then we'd be in trouble because then Michael Keaton would come here. Nobody wants that. 
obviously. No. Uh, so yes, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice is the name for the Beetlejuice sequel, which is out next this year. This year. Yeah, because I keep It's in confused. which month? I'm unclear from that poster if I was looking at the American version or the UK version. Oh, it's just yeah. numbers, isn't it's it? It's either June or September. I think it's September. <laughs> it's we'll have September to be... 6th, not June 9th. We'll line up at our cinemas on both days, just okay, to be sure. Just to be, just, yeah. just to be safe. Yeah. But that's exciting. Uh, apart from that, we know a little else. But I imagine there'll be a trailer this week at the Super Bowl. Um, ordinarily, uh, I would then segue from movie news into news of a major celebrity death, and I would adopt my, I would, I would, and I would adjust my tone accordingly and, and become all sad. And I am very, 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 very sad mm. about the death of Carl Weathers, who passed away suddenly this week at the age of just seventy-six, which is no age at all. Yeah. Especially for someone like him who was so full of life and vitality and you just frankly did not see this coming at all. Um, but I, I, I'm here to celebrate Carl Weathers, quite frankly, mm. because the man was a fucking legend. Mm -hmm. He was an Adonis. He was an Apollo. He, he was a living god. Uh, he was in Star Wars. He was in Predator. He was Action Jackson. He was himself in Arrested Development. Baby, you got a stew going. I saw many clips like that going around <laughs> this week. I, he was so, so funny in that and never once touched his per diem, which is great. And he was just wonderful. We we had him on the podcast a couple of times. I uh, interviewed him a, a few years ago um, <laughs> when he came into our studio. Do you remember this? He came into our studio when we were over at Endeavor House. Uh -huh. And he came into the studio and I had set up the interview and I had completely forgotten he was coming in. And I was going to work that day and I glanced at a bus on my way into work <laughs> and Carl Weathers' face was on that bus and I went, oh, that's nice. Chicago Justice is coming. Oh, fuck! Carl Weathers is coming in! And so I had to run into work. I could sprint in and uh, do my usual prep. <laughs> but he was, oh my God, that man what was so smooth yeah. and charming and he was just he was just wonderful. Really heartfelt tributes from both Stallone and Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Oh, Stallone's week, which, oh, oh, broke Stallone's me. Stallone's particular, oh. yeah. And also just like so many people who had worked with him in so many different capacities, just this massive outpouring of love. I love the idea that they were going to riff on Rocky in um, in Arrested Development. Yes. And, and then they got on the phone to him and he was like, you're not just going to do Rocky jokes. And they're like, ha ha. <laughs> No, of course not. Oh, goodness. And he was like, because I was thinking it'd be funny if I was just really cheap. <laughs> and it is. It's really <laughs> funny. But that was his notion, not theirs, which is which is just great. Yeah. Um, acting tutor Carl Weathers, my God. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> he was in The Shield, one of my favorite TV shows of oh, all time. Oh, yeah. Of I haven't seen him in that. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, Happy Gilmore as well. Happy Gilmore. Oh. Absolutely. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, he was so good. He was great, and and I was I felt like he was having a great sort of third act, you yeah. know, The Mandalorian. Grief Carga. Grief Carga is a oh. great role, and you know had had real growth from one season to the next. Wasn't a big role, but he was so good in it. Yeah. Oh. He had great, great, great screen presence. I mean, my, it seems almost cheapens him to say, but when you say Carl Weathers, I will always think Dylan. That will oh always be yes. the iconic Carl Weathers moment for me. Well, yeah, there was a Nick shared a lovely story from John McTernan about the making of Predator and how Carl Weathers kind of like elevated Arnie. Like mm. he kind of brought Carl Weathers in as sort of like the stabilizing force. And before, you know, 
He was still sort of seen as mm-hmm. kind of just a bodybuilder at that point. And then having Carl Weathers play opposite him, he raised his game. Yeah. He realized, yeah. okay, I've got to be serious here. Because some damn fool accuse you of being the best. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the, the other great story from that set is just that Carl Weathers was getting up every day at 3 yeah. a.m. <laughs> to go to the gym and yeah. work out. And then pretending for the rest of the day to all the other guys as they sweated out in the gym that he didn't exercise. He just looked like that, which is just an incredible piece of trolling. Yeah. Just wonderful. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, that close-up of that bicep is, you yeah. know, the, the bicep that launched a thousand gifts is kind of, yeah. You, yeah. You, you had to look the part. And yeah. to go toe-to-toe with Arnie in a film like that is, yeah, pretty impressive. I quote, I quote Dylan all the time. <laughs> Yeah, and Apollo it's, Creed as well. He's Apollo, and Apollo Creed, Creed, Apollo Creed. In many ways, like the the well, not the heart, I guess, of the Rocky franchise, but in, no, but it's pretty vital. Well, organ. no, Rocky's the heart. The Rocky franchise <laughs> yeah, is a very good point. He's, 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 <laughs> like, <laughs> he's at the very least like a, a, a liver. Like he's Apollo really Creed. Important. Spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen Rocky Four, but Apollo Creed's death in Rocky Four <laughs> is oh. one of the great screen deaths. I mean, it's just extraordinary. Oh my God, he was he was incredible. We also lost, uh, very, very sadly this week, we lost Mark Gustafsson, mm. who recently was the co-director alongside Guillermo del Toro of Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. And again, someone I interviewed for the podcast, I interviewed him and Guillermo uh, roughly about this time last year for the podcast. You can go back and check that out. And in fact, we have a whole Carl Weathers episode uh, that we put together around the time I interviewed him for The Mandalorian. There was an episode of The Mandalorian he directed because he was a director as well. Um, that you can go and check those out and you can go and check out that Mark Gustafsson Guillermo interview they're really really great they got on so well and Guillermo paid a very heartfelt tribute this week to his friend mm-hmm. uh, who passed away suddenly as well very very sad news he was a legend in the stop motion community yeah he worked on Fantastic Mr. Fox he was the animation director for that and um, and, the, and the bit of a very Harold and Kumar Christmas which is a fun film and in 3D <laughs> uh, but yeah his Pinocchio their Pinocchio was was wonderful it really, was wonderful. what a what a you know what a tribute to leave. Uh, he was just sixty four. Just sixty four. But uh, yes, that Pinocchio is available to watch on Netflix and Criterion Collection now. It's been it's been immortalized in the Criterion Collection as well. And there's one more loss I wanted to talk about. Uh, a few years ago, before we even launched the Empire Podcast, we did a series of live shows in London. Uh, live events, really, weekend-long events called MovieCon back then. You never guess what we ripped off. Uh, MovieCon 1, MovieCon 2, MovieCon 3. And one of the great things about those events that were all at the BFI South Bank in London was that they brought together a group of like-minded individuals to become the Avengers and fight crime, but also to come together and share a love of movies. And, you know, I believe people met there who are now married and have kids and all kinds of things. And we really got to know and, and like some of these people. Uh, and one of, the, one of the people who stood out, because I hosted most of the shows, and I remember one time uh, this guy stood up at the back of the crowd and wanted to ask a question and he got a little bit nervous and he said that something was hashtag amazing. And that became like the catchphrase. I think it might have the been MovieCon event, too. Yeah. That became the catchphrase of the whole event. Like, you know, everything became hashtag amazing. And was that I think, with a Simon Pegg, I think? I can't. I think it was, think it was Simon, it was Simon Pegg, 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 yes. Yeah, Simon maybe, Pegg maybe and Nick Frost. Frost. Well. Yeah. Might have been Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. And he said hashtag amazing. And that became like a thing. And it's something that I think we say on this podcast you know, yeah. every now and again to this day. His name is Morris Coyle. 
And Morris passed away this week. And his name was Space Cowboy on the Empire forums. And um, I was I was informed of his passing by uh, his friends, many of whom he met and and bonded with at the MovieCon events. And we just wanted to say uh, and pass on our heartfelt condolences to to Morris's friends and family. Uh, pour one out for a man who was hashtag amazing. Hashtag amazing. Shall we have our final guests this week? Yay! Let's have Sean Durkin, who is the director of The Iron Claw, and Zac Efron, who is the star of The Iron Claw, which, uh, Jimbo, you've seen The Iron Claw, right? I have. The uh, Claw! And uh, it's about a wrestling family, a wrestling family. Yep. It's uh, fighting with my family if it was really depressing. <laughs> and who are the family, James? The Von Erich clan. Yes. Okay. And... Um, <laughs> It's like it if you release Scott. <laughs> <laughs> you want more information? He, he just, okay, he fine. Just, he just stops talking when you're not expecting to. I, the interview Ridley Scott's amazing, by the way, but he does that. He just <laughs> stops talking and you're not prepared for it. Yes, this is about the Von Erich clan. They were a wrestling family in the 80s going into the 90s. Uh, and literally the entire family was a whole a sort of like a... It was almost Shakespearean, actually, the whole mm. story. It's an entire sort of like saga of the frankly tragic tale of them and their sort of climb to fame in the ring and then how it all ended quite badly. I was a big fan of Kerry Von Erich back in the late 80s, early 90s. It was, of course, the Texas Tornado in the WWF. <laughs> I introduced, uh, I seem to recall seeing that Survivor Series, which was about 1989. But uh, there you go, there's a, there's a little anecdote for you. Anyway, Zach Efron plays Kevin Von Erich and it's uh, John Durkin, the director of Martha, Martha, Mathy, Mathy, Mathy. <laughs> <laughs> Martha, Marcia, Mary, May, Marlene. M- Martha, Marcy, Ma- Martha, Martha. Martha. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Why did you say that name? <laughs> Alex Godfrey went along on Zoom this week to talk to Sean Durkin and Zach Efron about this movie, which is a phenomenal movie. Do please enjoy. Thanks for both joining us um, on the Empire Podcast. Um, this film is, I mean, I don't, I don't know. If, insane seems almost like a negative word but it's not because the film is insane right the story is insane the film is just wild it's in it's it's so crushing it's so painful i mean you you feel the pain on a physical level and an emotional level when you watch it and it's so tactile and i think what's so clever about it is that the emotional pain and the physical pain are entwined mm. and it's all about both at the same time and I wince when I think about the film on, on, on every level. And so I really want to talk to you about it. It all circles around your character, Zach, Kevin, who I would say, how do we describe it? He has enormous pecs and an even bigger heart. <laughs> um, and the two sort of have to work together to get him through this life, which is just, I mean, it's just awful what's going on you feel i felt for him right from the start right right from the end i mean it's such a it's such a cry fest honestly my heart just bled bled for you the whole time um was that did you both know when you started on this journey together that it was going to be that intense i mean obviously you knew what you wanted to be but did you know that it was going to be that that focused yeah yeah i mean i think insane is a great word I mean, yeah. the story is insane. There's an insanity to wrestling. There's an insanity to the uh, sort of repression of emotions that keep continually get pushed down throughout the tragedy. 
you know, it's, it is, um, and it's also, you know, I really wanted the film to embrace the sort of absurdity of wrestling too, you know, where we're dealing with, you know, wrestlers go in the ring and perform these huge emotions. And those emotions are a huge release, release for the audience watching them. But then in their private lives, they have to put all those emotions away and be tough men and, but then act, you know, sort of slightly ridiculous on camera, talking to camera, you know, it's, it's got all of these things. And I wanted to incorporate all of those things. And, and, and then there's also this curse that's hanging over them. And it sort of dips into, you know, psychological horror at times. And so it was so many things. But yeah. at the core of it was this emotion, this like repressed emotion that was just heartbreaking. And then finally, you know, it starts to break. And, and um, but yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's crazy. It's like, it's, it's chaotic and crazy. Yeah, Zach, Zach, it's extraordinary. I mean, as Sean was just saying, I mean, for people who've been paying close attention to your career, I mean, I saw The Paperboy. I mean, for God's sake, there's some crazy shit in that film. And you um, you played Ted Bundy, which was pretty wild. But I just think this whole this film is like a whole other ball of wax. I mean, how far you went with it on every level is just really wild. When When you got the script and started having talks with Sean, I, know, I, I get the feeling that you really went through it on this one and that it's really affected you. Um, did you, were you surprised about the impact it would have and how far that you would actually go with it? Or was that something you were excited to do anyway from the beginning? It's a mixture of the two, I think. You, you know, I, initially, you know, just there's only so much you can, you can uh, get from reading the script. I, uh, it was really talking with Sean. We met in, in New York and, um, you know, after about two hours, I just got the sense that all the things he really cared about and, and wanted to achieve with the film really aligned with what I enjoy about the creative process and too about cinema. And, um, and just there were parallels, I think, between the character that he was able to describe to me in, in, um, great detail that I had an affinity for. And I um, kind of, I don't know, there was, there was something drawing me to it. Uh, that being said, I knew, I of course knew this was going to be physically demanding and, um, and, and emotionally as well, but now I never realized how much the process would kind of take care of itself. I think in all of the training and, and uh, the preparation to play Kevin, I really found um, a version of him, you know, in, in myself that, uh, that, that just worked. I, I really, uh, so much, I, I prepared so much. We, Sean and I worked so much prior to the film that, um, a lot of the work was, was kind of taken care of by then. I just got to kind of exist, which was, mm. which was everything. It's a dream come true, you know. It sounded like it was more, you found more personal connection than, than you'd maybe anticipated. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I mean, I have brothers, I have a, I have brothers myself and, um, you know, so I've, that part came relatively, uh, naturally the, you know, instantaneously it clicked with, with the actors. And, um, so, so that, that really wasn't, um, a, a challenge. We had a great relationship that was, that was all really fun. But with, with Kevin as an individual, I'd say after the film, once we were able to sort of bond and connect and he had seen the movie and I heard that he enjoyed it, I was so excited to have that conversation with him. 
Yeah. I can't even describe the, uh, that feeling of being able to connect with uh, the person you've portrayed and have them mm. be enthusiastic or even warm in receiving it. You know, it's like beyond your wildest dreams. And um, it just, it, it meant everything to me. And I, and it, it's an honor to play a guy like Kevin. He really is my hero. He really, he really truly is my hero. Sean, um, what did you see in Zach? What, what, what were you, what did you watch or what sense did you get from his work or from him that you thought um, would make a perfect choice for this role? Well, I, I've always loved watching him. I, I, you know, I think I had the first thought like over 10 years ago that I wanted to work with him. Um, and so this just seemed, you know, this was sort of the first thing I had that I thought he'd be perfect for. Um, and, you know, when we met, I just sort of realized he really has that, you know, I, I think he just gave a good uh, tagline when he said, uh, Kevin has, you know, big pecs and a bigger heart. <laughs> 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 it's like, actually, it's good for Zach, too. You know, it, uh, that's, that's how Zach is. Uh, uh, just huge, yeah. huge heart and, and sweetness. And, and I, I actually don't, I think this kind of sweetness that Kevin has, I don't think an actor can portray that if they don't have it. It's not something you can perform in that, in that, in that, in the quiet way that this character requires it. You have to, you just have to have it in you. Well, that's the thing. I mean, look, obviously, Zach, this is an amazing acting performance, but what, what I come away from, despite all the, all the pain in this film and all the, all the physicality and, you know, all the insane wrestling moves and, you know, you lot beat the shit out of each other. It really hurts to watch it. But really what it leaves me with is, is your eyes. You know, you have, you're like a wounded puppy in this film. You're like a child in this huge body and these big men all around you. And you're a big man, but you're like a little boy. And there's all this weakness and fragility and vulnerability and, you're so awkward in it and you're nervy and you just, the whole film, you just need some love. And uh, everyone's just fighting everybody on every level. I mean, what um, above and beyond the script and the discussions you were having with Sean, what were you summoning there? Because I, I know I, I was just upset for you the whole time. Oh, cheers, man. Yeah, you know, I, I, it's a combination. I think, I think, um, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of parallels. I think between the worlds. Uh, you know, that, that some of these wrestlers are caught in and, and perhaps being in, you know, the, the public eye or being a performer in, in some aspects, I think I was able to draw on a little bit of that. Um, yeah. You know, there's, it, the truth is wrestling is just, it's, it's a war. It really is a world that has not been examined um, in this kind of honest way. I, we, you know, you hear, hear tragic stories and, and, um, you know, there's some there's some decent documentaries and stuff out there, but the story that Sean told here about this about the Von Eric family is, uh, you know, not only is it a, a beautiful story about wrestling and uh, and a, and a welcome sort of into the real world of it, but you know, it's it's about it's about this, these people and this family and this love and this curse that they're all they're yeah. all experiencing. So 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 much so many things wrapped into uh, into one story. And it's just a real guy going through it, man. That's, that's what Kevin is. Kevin just seems I, a lot of the wrestling characters are made to be larger than life and, and, uh, and, and crazy, but underneath there's, there's real people. And, um, 
you know, that's, that's what Kevin is. He's just a real guy living yeah. in this world, doing the best he can fighting, fighting and never giving up. And, um, I think that's beautiful. Well, this, yeah, I mean, I certainly don't want to underplay the actual fighting in this film. I mean, it, there is a lot of wrestling. There are, there's a lot of muscle going on. Um, so obviously, you know, there's, there's, there's a whole bunch of you. I mean, the whole family, your, your brothers in this film are all huge and they're all really, really going at it. You know, this is, this was probably a testosterone fueled set, right? What, what was it like just every day? You guys and, all that sweat and all that pain going on. What what did it feel like? What did it, what did it smell like? I mean, it was pretty fun. It was pretty it light. Was fun. It was fun as hell. Yeah. I'll tell you that much. It was fun as hell. It was serious, but it, we had fun on set, man. Sean is so fun to work with because the way he sets up setting things up and knowing there were, the, the stakes felt high. It felt like we were really wrestling. It felt like we were putting on a wrestling show. It was great. Yeah, but it's also pretty. It's also pretty gentle. Like it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a lot of good people. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's a very laid back. But for for as serious as my work can be, like the sets are always uh, very relaxed. Yeah, and uh, and 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 not too serious. You know, in, in all the ways, focused but um, but relaxed. And 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 I think it's really important to to have that environment and and that it's that it's it is fun. Sean streamlines it so it's you feel you feel prepared. You're in a creative space. You feel safe. And um, you know, in that in that zone, there's not much you can't accomplish. You know, it really puts you in a in a space where you can thrive and push yourself and be vulnerable and mm-hmm. have fun. Have you, I know, Sean? I knew you grew up in England to, to an extent. Zach, did, do you know anything of the of the old sort of UK wrestling scene from the seventies and eighties with the big daddy and giant haystacks? Because that's what I grew up on, which is a different kettle of fish. No, I've heard them. I've heard them, but only since we did this movie, and I'm not that familiar with them now. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure Sean is. <laughs> yeah, they. Uh, they. They were. Let me just say they. They weren't so ripped. Um, I. I. I, I got. <laughs> I got to wrap up in a second, but uh, yeah, just let me let me just ask um, you guys. I mean, Sean and, and all of you guys making this film. I mean, are you are you still tight? Do you have you got to hang out much since? Do you have a, a wrestling WhatsApp group? What's what's going on now? Still, what's that legacy like? Uh, it's interesting, man. You know, everyone goes off. It's it's this. It's pretty standard, I think, for. Uh, you know, for acting and for filmmaking in general, is you get very, very close for this process. And then everybody has to disperse to go do other various jobs all over the world or promotions or press and our family or catch up on life. But we, we have done a good job of keeping in touch. I think, um, you know, like I, I text the boys all the time and, uh, you know, it's, it's been a fascinating, fun time for this cast in particular, you know, Jeremy's just winning awards left and right. And, um, you know, I, I know we're on each other's minds a lot because we want to find something else to, to work together on. So yeah, in, this is the best possible scenario to, to end a movie on with a, with a cast. We all want to work together again and, um, we're keeping each other in our hearts at all times. Maybe something less painful next time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Musical or something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, both of you. I, I, I hope you can tell how much I love the film. So it was, it was really great to talk to you about it. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, thanks. a lot. Appreciate Watch it. on.
Okay, that was Sean Durkin and Zach Efron, director and star of The Iron Claw. And now it is time to talk about it because it is this week's reviews section. And Hell's Bells, should we start with that? Should we start with The Iron Claw? Jimbo's yeah. already obviously all in on it. Five stars just dep- depicts wrestling and he's happy with that. Well, you know, the Tetsu Tornado once fought alongside the Ultimate Warrior, who was oh, my favourite. So. And then Thanos came along exactly. and kicked their asses. Yeah. Okay, yes. Um, this is the, yeah, this is the story of a wrestling family. So we... We join it with the kind of father of the clan, Fritz, played by Holt McCallany. And this is a guy who drives himself very hard. When we get a few scenes of him as a younger man wrestling uh, with his, you know, very young sons alongside him. Uh, and, and he drives himself really hard. And then, of course, as they grow up, he starts driving them incredibly to hard school. as oh, well. To, to sc- not yeah. to school. Well, I mean, probably to school. I don't really have that information. That wasn't a major part of the film. Okay. Um, but what we what we do see is that you know Kevin is following in his footsteps. He's becoming like a sort of state champion wrestler. They have their own arena every week. Is is wrestling week, um, and uh, he's he's kind of he ranks his kids. He he kind of has them compete against each other for his literally affections. Really, um, he will say, "I have a favorite," and this week my favorite is is usually Kerry, who's Jeremy mm. Allen White's character. Because Kerry is in line to go to the Olympics and do, I think, the discus. Um, and that makes him son number one as far as Fritz is concerned. You wow. Know? Yeah, That's literally. That's fucked up. He, he rates them. And their mother, who's played by Maura Tierney, is just like, yeah, yeah, that all seems fine to me. Just nothing. Just nothing. Absolutely nowhere. Um, and they have two younger brothers. Uh, one is David, played by Harris Dickinson. And Mike is played by Stanley Simmons. Um, oh, and yeah. he is much more kind of sensitive, you know, musical, isn't really into the wrestling side of things, or at least by inclination he mm. isn't. Soon enough, he's training with his brothers um, because the, uh, was it the 1984 Olympics were in Moscow? Or was no, it 1980? 1980 was in it was Moscow. the 1980 Olympics were and in they Moscow. Were boycotted. And they were boycotted. The, yeah. the US boycotted, so Kerry's chance was lost, basically. So he goes into wrestling too. So all of these kids are being brought into this very competitive, very physical environment their their father is literally pitting them them against each other and kevin is kind of our point of view character so he's the one who has the early wrestling success who's kind of leading the pack who very much sees himself as kind of you know part of the family doing what's right doing what his father wants him to do being the good son he's always trying to do the right thing so even when kerry comes back and goes into wrestling and fritz shows a marked preference for Mm -hmm. him you know, Kevin is still like, okay, you know, you're my brother, I love you. You're my father, I love you. This is fine. I'm okay. And the thing is, they're all essentially going, I'm okay all the time. This is fine. And it's not. And the pressures begin to show and the cracks begin to show. Um, the, the the true story this is based on is, uh, is very tragic, as James already alluded to. I'm not going to go too much into it. Um, but, you know, I think it's fair to say there's a content warning for suicide in this film yeah, um, and very, very much of a one. Um, and the actual real story is even worse because there was another brother. Yeah, There was an extra brother and Sean Durkin very correctly decided that this story couldn't take any more tragedy in yeah. an hour or two hours of screen time. And there time. is a lot more of it. it. Already, there's even more. It already feels like there's too much tragedy yeah. for, to contain. And there's actually one film. more in and the real story. More. I will say, like, di- like I disappeared down the Wikipedia hole after yeah, watching this. Me too. And I was like, oh my God. Like, it's... Yeah, it, it's a lot. I don't do that before you watch the film. I would say, yeah. but afterwards, mm. might worth a look because it is. It's it's a really interesting story because they were. I mean, they were an iconic clan. I mean, mm. they got inducted into the 
WWE Hall of Fame, I think relatively recently. Um, and it's an interesting story. So the Holt McCallany, who you said plays Fritz von Erich, obviously his name is, is Jack Adkisson. Like Fritz von Erich was his kayfabe ring name because he, he played a German heel. Yeah. And he kept that identity even afterwards and his sons adopted the Von Erich name which were so they were named after this fictional ring character that he mm. created and it became this this sort of emblematic legend and uh, Zac Efron who it's really hard because like, it's been so long since he's played a teen heartthrob but I think all of us in the backs of our minds still see him in his high school musical kind of oeuvre but we're he is exactly together, he is I believe the medical term is ripped to fuck yes seriously uh, to the point where it doesn't look real he looks like he has CGI abs they are so chiseled I think he just has this kind of freakish genetics where he looks at a dumbbell and suddenly that's what happens to him it's <laughs> absolutely extreme no one else in this film looks like he does but also it's in keeping with that character because he is the character who as, as Helen said, like desperately wants his father's approval and always falls just short of it, always feels like he's second place, but kind of shoulders it regardless. So you feel, you totally understand that he would hit the gym twice as hard, twice as long as anyone else. Um, but this, it's it's a wonderful, wonderful film. It's it's very much a kind of a study in, a very tragic study in, in mental health and, mm. and coping and when what happens and, when people don't. And masculinity. Yeah, and absolutely. Competitiveness and everything. We should mention Lily James's Pam, who is... Kevin's kind of love interest, I guess, in this, mm. and you know, is maybe a little bit of his lifeline. I think at times mm. in the movie, maybe not always, but at times. Um, but really, it's the focus is very much on this very insular, very self-contained family, and, yeah. and all of the kind of these brothers powder keg, you know, pressure cooker atmosphere that mm. Fritz creates. And a big shout out to Harris Dickinson, who was fantastic in A Murder at the End of the World, but his, his performance as David in this is beautiful. Mm. He's, he's, he's almost unrecognisable in this yeah. film, yeah. isn't he? I actually didn't realise it was him yeah. until quite, mm. you know, because he's, he's completely ripped as well. Maybe not as much as Zach, but he's, you know, He's built like a wrestler in this and he's got the, the 80s. He has the 80s wrestling hair, yes. The, the, big the hair. hair is, oof. Yeah. The, the hair game here is very, very strong. There's a lot of <laughs> hair. Upsetting, possibly, yeah. but yes. Yeah. But the, the, yeah, the acting across the board is mm. is pretty much on point. It's it's quite amazing, actually. And it feels very real, you know, because th this sort of story is almost like a sort of Greek melodrama in some way. It's just like the tragedy upon tragedy. It could easily feel a little bit over the top and overblown, and certainly in the last half of the film, it it it's it's fairly unrelenting. Yeah. But but the the performances feel make it feel grounded, make it feel authentic. You know, there are some really amazing um, turns here, and it yeah, I'm kind of gutted that it was basically shut out of the awards conversation. Just didn't get yeah. any. I don't think it even got a single Oscar nomination. No, it didn't. Did it? And, it, and was, it felt yeah. like it was in the conversation early on mm. and then it just suddenly kind of disappeared. Baffling um, to me. It's in the National Board of Review Awards, which are a big prize in the US, but it, it feels like it hasn't maybe got the recognition it deserves. And I think that's a real shame. I think people haven't maybe looked past the muscles or yeah. something. I don't know, but it feels like do an think, oversight. Do you think, I mean, this is obviously one of those, uh, Zac Efron's been trying to, He's been railing against his high school musical image for for a long, long time. He's obviously done stuff like Baywatch, where he's kind of leaned into the fact that yeah. you know he looks like he does. But he's also been striving, I think, for recognition of his acting talent. He did the Ted Bundy movie a, a couple yeah. of years ago. He was very good in that. Uh, I he's don't know. Is there a, is there a slight inherent bias towards like you stay in your box, uh, pretty boy? I think there might be a little bit of that. I think there was also a lot of. Um, fuss around his his face. He injured his his jaw. He basically broke his jaw in a bunch of places. 
And when it was wired back together, people accused him of having had plastic surgery, but it was literally like his jaw was in fragments. Um, and and he looks a bit different now. And I think, I don't know if that's, I don't know. He's got the sort of Hulk almost. haircut as well. He looks different, but he yeah, does look that different. shouldn't be. Yeah, because he's clearly striving for that, that adulation and you know, the acclaim that... And from what, what you guys have said, uh, he I haven't seen the oh, film. Oh, he deserves, he deserves, he deserves, he deserves it. He deserves it, yeah. It's, it's mm. real. And, and, you know, Jeremy Allen White, like, so hot right now and everything, yeah. but really kind of showing that it's not just the bear. It's not just that he's got a really good writing and mm. casting team around him. There. Doesn't he's, cook a he's thing. A, he's a genuinely, <laughs> yeah. He's a genuinely very good actor. Does he shout cousin at any point? <laughs> no, hands, no, hands, all, corners. All brothers. All Behind. Brothers. But rings of the corner. Like, he you know, he so. does literally rip his shirt off at one point to show his his <laughs> rippling abs. I mean, you so would, wouldn't you? Fans of the bear will be happy. Never mind that. fans of the bear. Fans of well, how are you spelling bear? First of all, yeah. but, <laughs> but fans of the Calvin Klein ad. Uh, yes. That caused yes, a exactly. stir, didn't it? It yeah. did. Fan, uh, sales of fans went up around the country. <laughs> people just, oh my word! Oh my, say, oh my you know, hands corner well, behind. I, I'll say, <laughs> there's there's your Saturday evening right there. Five stars then for <laughs> the Iron Claw. What? Totes and approves. Oh, totes and approves. I love that phrase. I love that phrase. Come see us live. Uh, what's next? Uh, Steve McQueen is back. He's back, back, back. Not that one. With a four-hour documentary called Occupied City. Uh, John, you have seen this this movie. Yeah. What's it about? Four, and, and four hours plus. Four think, hours plus, I think yeah. it's four hours 20 or something like that. And yeah. it does come with an intermission. It may be the longest film I've ever seen in a cinema. Really? Uh, Surely I, I Killers of the to, Flower Moon was seven, eight hours or so. Killers of the Flower Moon was three and a half hours and it could have been longer. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. But once, you enter, you? once you enter the third trimester of the <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Killers of Flammoosen is a masterpiece. I will hear no other... People were impregnated and gave birth during screenings (laughs) of that film. Anyway. (laughs) Occupied City, yes. This is a four and a bit hours film. Uh, It's one of the few films that actually has an intermission. At least when I I saw it at Cannes and there was literally like a 20 minute break halfway through where everyone got up and went to the toilet. It is not a commercial film. It is an experimental art film. It's a documentary and it is based on the book by his his wife and creative partner, Bianca Steiger, called Atlas of an Occupied City, Amsterdam, 1940 to 1945. And this is a nonfiction sort of account that's tried to document the stories of Amsterdam during World War II when it was under occup- occupation by the Nazis. And she would go, because all of these buildings, you know, pretty much preserved from that time. Most of the buildings in Amsterdam have been preserved for centuries at this point. Um, so the same buildings that were there in World War II are there today. So she would go through all of the, so many buildings, hundreds of buildings, and try and document stories from that time. Incredible stories of survival, of, of oppression, of fascism, of trying to live, of trying to, to be humans in a, in a terrible, terrible time. And this is essentially an adaptation of that, but it's a very unconventional adaptation. They're, what Steve McQueen has done is he's taken cameras and he goes around these buildings and films them as they are today. Uh, so he's just grabbing little snippets of life from Amsterdam in, I think it was 2023 or 2022 that they were filming. So modern day um, Amsterdam. And then we've there's a narration written by McQueen and Steigers and it's direct, uh, uh, narrated by Melanie Hyams who just reads these stories from World War II. So there's this strange like juxtaposition. 
Mm. You've got this story of fascism and oppression from occupied Amsterdam in the 1940s. And then you've got modern day Amsterdam, all just modern, bustling peaceful, and, bustling, yeah, colorful. everyday life. It's, you know, set in the pandemic as well. So there's like some, you know, scenes from the pandemic where there's lockdowns and, and there's protests. But it's a very odd film. And it's, that that's it. That is literally it for four and a half hours. It's just story after story after story after story. And you're sort of watching two films at once. So that's a bit confusing. You know, you're sort of concentrating on one or the other. Sometimes you're distracted by what's happening on screen and you don't pay attention to what's happening in the narration or vice versa. And also because it's so long and it sort of goes on forever, it sort of lulls you into a meditative state. You know, it's very, it's not a gripping film, I would say. It's, it's, it, it's quite a strange thing to watch in one sitting. Um, it made me feel a little bit like going to an art gallery or a museum. You know, when you, you sometimes have video installations and you'll sit down on a bench and watch mm. it and dip in and then move along. It felt a little bit like that, except I was in a seat uh, in a cinema and you couldn't like just walk away from it. It was, I, I, I don't know that it totally worked for me as a cinema going experience, um, mm. but it was fascinating. It was really, really fascinating. Um, and, you know, the, the sort of subject matter was undeniably moving and powerful. And yeah, I've never seen a film like it. I mean, Steve McQueen has said he's got a 36-hour version. Whoa. Wow. Which he may release at some point. And he's only released this version? This is the, this is the short version for <gasps> wow. hours. Um, I Do it. I don't know that I've got the stamina for something like that, but just as a sort of experience, as a sort of, uh, you know, like full body meditative experience, it's, yeah, I, I've, I've not uh, come across anything like it. So it's, it's really interesting. And um, I, yeah, maybe one you might want to watch in a few sittings at home mm. rather than on the big screen. Uh, that's a long time to be in a seat for Blimey. very long. Well, but, we should we should obviously mention that he did direct the uh, Small Axe series. And effectively, that was five films yeah. for the BBC. Yeah. But um, but it's good to see him back on the big screen. He must have World War II on his mind because he his next movie, his next you know fictional movie is a film called Blitz set Blitz, during World War yes. II as well, which uh, weirdly enough filmed outside my flat. Whoa. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I, was, I peered down and watched people running in World War II garb past past my flat that's just an average Friday for you it is it? pretty much <laughs> it's pretty much uh, excited excited about that how many people went back after the intermission uh, can there, uh, there were a few emptier seats uh -huh. I would say there was some shuffling about but most people were pretty respectful you're was, hardcore John I like that yeah no I stuck to the end and it is I mean it's I've I think I've seen Zack Snyder's Justice League it's longer than that <laughs> Um, longer and uh, yeah very different as well I've listened to Chris Hewitt interview Chris McQuarrie <laughs> yeah, I can yes. take anything it's um, fine alright so what, we, what do we give it? it four stars four stars four stars and one for Steve each McQueen. hour <laughs> Steve McQueen's yes. Occupied City and we're going to round off with very very quick mentions of two films that are on Netflix right now One Helen is Orion and the Dark a little cutesy animated film it's adorable but not Cutesy, I would say. This is written by Charlie Kaufman. What? Um, a fucked up, mind-bending 
brain fart of a movie. Kind of sometimes. Um, so it basically starts with Orion is a young boy who's voiced by Jacob Tremblay, who's terrified of like everything, essentially everything, but particularly of the dark. Like he has a hugely long list of things he is afraid of. He has literally drawn them out in his little sketchbook to try and categorize everything he's, he's afraid of and organize almost everything that he's afraid of. But like number one, two, and three on his list are basically all the dark. But the dark is a person, is a is an anthropomorphic personification voiced by Paul well, Walterhauser. Easy for you to say. <laughs> who comes to life and tries to basically win him over. He's like, I am sick of you screaming in terror every night when, you know, the light goes out. You need to calm down. So I'm going to teach you that I'm a nice guy, really, by abducting you and taking you with me around the world. Now, <laughs> oh, yes, is, is there this... are some you know, slight problems in the dark's plan. But uh, but that's basically the premise of the movie in the dark. Is this obviously... based on a book by any chance? I... It is. Yeah. yeah, there's a a children's book, but I think it's a very, very, very loose adaptation. Yeah. It's it's like a 35, 40 page yeah. picture yeah. book. It's called for... The Dark, isn't it? I think, or it's something in the dark. I, I think can't... it may just be called Orion in the Dark, but it's like, it's yeah, it's for like ages zero to five. It's It's very basic. And I think Charlie Kaufman has really added a lot of himself yeah. to this, right? So, I mean, there's an infinite jest joke. Yes. James Foster Rules is infinite jest, which, <laughs> which I just I loved. loved. Um, there's so many little fun bits in this. It, it feels, I mean, you've, you've compared it, you were at the review, John, but you mm. compared it to Mitchell's versus the machines. And I think that's fair at times. I didn't, I wasn't so enthralled by all of the Dark's gang. So he has, you know, helpers like insomnia and sweet dreams mm. and all the rest, strange noises in the night, you know. I wasn't quite so compelled by all of this kind of noise around the edges, but, yeah, but it, just Orion himself, I thought, was one of the great cartoon leads. And yes. I really enjoyed him in the dark together. Yeah, the, his his colourful mates sort of felt a bit like Inside Out, like pound, yeah. Poundland Inside Out a little bit. A little bit, yeah. But there is, there, yeah, you're right. I think Orion as a character is really beautiful. Is kind of like another sort of Charlie Kaufman proxy, mm. you know, a very anxious protagonist. And... What is really impressive about this film, I thought, is there's there's a sort of meta framing device, mm -hmm. which I did not see coming for a no. film like this. It just has a sort of, it becomes about the very act of storytelling and why we talk, tell stories to one another. It is it is a great device. I've never seen it before. Mm. I've never seen it done like this. And I would literally stay away from reading the cast list on IMDb. Oh, shit. Because that actually spoils some of the oh, framing device you know, in a weird way. And and the cast list is great. Look, we'll tell you right now, you know, like Angela Bassett is a is a voice yeah. in this, for example. There are really, really good people uh, voicing those characters. But don't look them up I'm until looking you at finish it. watching the film. Stop it, Chris. Stop <laughs> it. Look. I can't help it. Shut your oh eyes, Oh my Marianne. God. I can't believe that person's in it. I can't believe that person's in it. That person's in it? Oh, I see you do. Yeah. Anyway, so it, it's a really, really clever device and it's a yeah. really beautiful piece of storytelling. Wow. And you gave it four stars, John. I give it four stars, Aww. yeah. I would agree. It's a, it's a nice four-star film. It's a four-star week. It's a four-star week. We don't have a review of the next film, which is The Greatest Night in Pop. But if we did, I'd probably give it four as well. It's a documentary. It's on Netflix. Uh, it is about the uh, crazy night when Lionel Richie and Michael Jackson... And Quincy Jones corralled a group of, frankly, the world's biggest musicians uh, into a room, a very, very warm and sweaty room, and recorded, We are the world, we are the children, uh, for a charity single, the big old charity single, the, the American response to Band-Aid and Do You Know It's Christmas. Uh, and this is a fascinating documentary because they have footage, um, 
filmed at the time of all these people cramming into a room together. And they, Lionel Richie, he also produced the documentary, which which means that perhaps some of the rougher edges have been sanded off. Although it's not completely a hagiography, Sheila E., there's a there's a thread where Sheila E. talks about how she felt used by the production and that they, she realized only halfway through that they basically were wanting her so the prince would, might turn up. Uh, oh. And so she walked out. Fair. And so they kept, the, you know, so they, they gave her her moment in, in the sun. Uh, but it's just an, it's an astonishing thing to to watch. And some of the, they, they have interviews with the likes of Lionel Richie and uh, Bruce Springsteen and Huey Lewis. Uh, two of those have been on the Empire podcast, by yeah, the way. Right. <laughs> Which is wild. Uh, and Sheila E. and Cindy Lauper and, and people like that. And and behind the scenes people and a cameraman who just could not believe his luck. He was just doing a he was just doing a gig. He'd only been in LA a couple of years and suddenly there he was, three feet from Michael Jackson, Stevie Wonder and Ray Charles and oh Paul and Oates and you know, the boss and there's a great thread about Bob Dylan being really uncomfortable, you know, in the bit where he goes, We are the world! There's a choice we're making! We're saving our lives! <laughs> you know, that that bit. And he's really uncomfortable <laughs> with it uh, because he's not a singer. He's not a singer. As evidenced. And and he's in <laughs> the world, from- he's in a room with like the world's greatest singers. Didn't he win like like Q did a list of like the best singers in history and he, and they voted him number one on the basis that well he can't sing but look how he's done I mean it's look how well he's done well. look and, how well he's done and I appreciate the argument but also fuck off Aretha Franklin's <laughs> right there come on come well on. she wasn't right there not in well, this one uh, no, she wasn't she wasn't this one also they didn't have Madonna they didn't have Prince but they did have an amazing amazing lineup of talent uh, and they talk about how Lionel Richie and Michael Jackson wrote the song together and you know and it, it is a fairly bland song but it kind of had to be right mm. to to move the masses but it's just a really really fun and fascinating documentary mm. so if you love your famous people and you love your famous people singing and you love Paul Simon standing next to fucking Kenny Rogers and Dion Warwick oh, yeah it's it's so good okay yeah four stars I go four stars All right. the greatest night in pop uh, meanwhile if you want the greatest night in pod, come and see us live, oh, folks. Oh, what a segue. It all comes back. It all comes back. We are going to be in Birmingham, Norwich, Sheffield, Dublin, and Salford slash Manchester uh, across the month of March. And we would love to be joined by you and as many of you as possible. And indeed, as the buildings will accommodate, of course, because of the, yes. the law and stuff. Mm. Uh, but yeah. It's exciting. And on that note, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun where we'll be joined by Tahar Rahim, who is the star of Madam Web, and Annette Benning, the Oscar-nominated star of Nyad, who will be talking about that performance and that movie. Very, very exciting cool. indeed. And yeah. Nyad in the force. <laughs> indeed. Good. Uh, but until then, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from my three colleagues of such lethal cunning whom Fawn Eric style I am now going to rank in order. <laughs> <laughs> it is goodbye to my my number one, my king of the hill. <laughs> a number one it's John Nugent yes! of course damn it John yes! Nugent because Unbelievable. because John has has seen things you people wouldn't believe <laughs> including four hours and 20 minutes of a documentary <laughs> that true. that uh, that uh, that you guys were were too busy to uh, to watch um, and I was editing a podcast uh, John Th- you're number one thank brilliant. you brilliant well done M- me and my bladder thank you ha! there we go <laughs> this has been a long record yes. um 
It's goodbye to my number two favorite. My number two favorite right now. I would say if I if you put a gun to my head, if you put a gun to my head right now and you said, Chris, out of James and Helen, <laughs> out of James and Helen, one of whom has just threatened you with physical violence, <laughs> who would be number two? And I've always thought of Helen as number two. And Helen, I'm not sure that's does, a compliment. Who does number two work for? <laughs> it's Helen O'Hara. Uh, you know what? Your mistake was learning guitar, James. Yeah. That's why you're in last place. Yeah, that's fair. In the Von Erich family, that would not go down well. So. Number three. Number three. Who is number three? It's got to be me. I am number three. In in with a bullet at number three. Number four. Is there a four? Is there a four? <laughs> James Dyer. Goodbye. <laughs> the claw is our master. The claw. The claw. The claw is our master. The claw. No. The claw Stop decides who oh. lives and who stays. Take off my headphones. Put my fingers in my ears. To infinity and beyond. <laughs> I love it. Well, that's it for the Empire Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Bye. I can tell by the way his mouth moves. He's still doing it. <laughs>